listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the CRM Archaeology Podcast, episode 91 for August 17th, 2016. I'm your host, Chris Webster. On today's show, we talk to Nicole and Jordan, two archaeologists that are familiar with the Wisconsin Bill AB620 that proposes to do some distressing things to burial mounds. We'll find out what's going on out there and what you can do about it. So, let me know if you'd like a postcard from Italy, because that's where I am right now, because the CRM Archaeology Podcast starts right now. Welcome to the show, everyone. Joining me today are Doug in Scotland. Hello. Bill in Arizona. Buenos dias. And Tristan in Scotland, joining us as a guest host. Hello. All right, and Tristan is on his phone. I've heard a little bit of choppiness, so we'll deal with that. Um, but... Uh, so today, well, you know, we had another topic planned for today, um, but I decided to bump it when I saw some posts from a couple of archaeologists that uh, that I'm friends with on Facebook, and they're posting in the Archaeofield Text Group and things like that. And I thought this was important to um, to bring up to the listeners because things like what we're going to talk about here shortly are, um, you know, there's a potential for that to happen pretty much anywhere in any state um, that has these ideas, so uh, that has these concepts. So um, we're going to talk about this and see. What's going on in Wisconsin? So let me introduce them first. Um, we'll start with you, Nicole. Nicole, how's it going? It's going pretty good. All right. Just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, um, You know where, you, where you're going to school, what you're doing uh, in Wisconsin. Well, my name is Nicole Bodenstein. I'm uh, a grad student getting her master's at uh, University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. I have been in the field uh, most summers since 2012. <laughs> Nice. Not really doing anything special, mm-hmm. just a field tech. <laughs> nice. Hey, that's special on its own right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Indeed. Um, indeed. <laughs> All right, and Jordan. Uh, my, hello, my name is Jordan Shashalshek. Uh, I am not currently in school, but I am about to start the uh, grad school uh, hunt as an app. And uh, I'm currently the editor of Wisconsin's Underwater Heritage, the official uh, newsletter publication for the Wisconsin Underwater Archaeology Association. Um, and I've also been a field tech since I've graduated in um, 2014. Okay, awesome. Well, Jordan, why don't you uh, introduce the topic that we're gonna um, that we're gonna talk about for the rest of the afternoon, and uh, and we'll go from there. What the topic is is the issue of preservation that's happening right here in Wisconsin, um, dealing with the uh, preservation of effigy mounds in Wisconsin. Um, and a little background on effigy mounds. Um, Wisconsin has the most effigy mounds in the Midwest. And at the time of European contact, there's an estimated uh, like 25,000 to 35,000 effigy mounds. And over time, it's been estimated that 90% of all those mounds have been destroyed by either development or natural overgrowth or um, just been plowed over. And uh, mounds uh, generally have served as burial sites and Human remains have been found in many mounds, um, like the few that have been excavated. Yeah, the the estimate I believe was uh, the very very conservative uh, num figure is eighty percent, but the Wisconsin Historical Society absolutely believes, and and I would be inclined to agree that it that number is much higher, uh, approaching one hundred percent. So it's so it's likely from an archaeological perspective that these mounds were created as burial mounds that you don't find too many that don't have. Um, yes. In them. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Okay. 
And just to elaborate on effigy mounds a little bit for those that may work in the West <laughs> and don't really know what an effigy mound is, what do these what do these look like? You know, what is what does an effigy mound typically look like in Wisconsin? They can be conical. They can look like very small hills. Um, so the idea is that um, I think I do believe that the effigy mounds way back when were created by basketful by basketful of dirt. And uh, one at a time, but they uh, formed things like uh, something as simple as a, a cone or a small hill to lines to, uh, well, what we're calling bears, uh, something I, I'm convinced is a sparrow, rabbits, uh, panthers, and all the way up to something like, like the man mound. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So they always, in Wisconsin, do most of them have some sort of um, recognizable shape? Yeah. Yeah, they, they represent some sort of animal figure? Yeah. Uh, when it comes to, like, um, conical mounds, though, mm-hmm. I mean, it is something that's, like, not almost, not immediately dis- discernible because you just see it as a small hump mm-hmm. um, in the landscape. But when it comes to something larger, like an effigy mound, like the man mound that uh, Nicole has stated, like, you can definitely see that he has arms, legs, like right. there's a torso here, yeah. Okay, so these mounds are currently protected um, under Wisconsin uh, Wisconsin law, right? Um, when they're, when yes. they're placed on the Wisconsin yes. Wisconsin Historical Society's list of of mounds, um, yes. and that's that's kind of the heart of what we're talking about here, isn't it? Is being on that list <laughs> because being on yeah. that list affords it certain protections on private land, correct? That that and uh, tax uh, tax rebates for having those on your private property. Mm-hmm. There's a particular tax refund that you will get um, for that. Oh, as long as you preserve it and don't destroy it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. Right. Yes, exactly. Right. Okay. Well, it sounds like for some uh, property owners, especially I saw a video that I think you guys posted from a, a, a quarry, um, and it sounds like their their tax benefits aren't nearly as much as um, what they think they could get out of it if they just dug it up and and sold the material. So um, not the cultural material, but the material underneath. Because it, it was amazing. We'll have these links in the show notes. But watching this video, they had this thing pedestaled up with like 50-foot high walls all around their quarry. It was like a little island now. It completely yeah. ruined the context of it completely. Um, you know, sure, the mound is still there. But the 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 context that it's sitting in is completely gone. Um, and I, I guess that's legal. Otherwise, they wouldn't have done it. But uh, yeah, it's pretty... Um, pretty interesting so what's what's the sense um you know what's where are we sitting right now what's what's the the legal status of this thing well the, the legal extremely status uncomfortable that, yeah <laughs> right the uh the legal status um at this point it's uh there's a there's there's the uncomfortableness and there's also a level of uncertainty of the outcome um these uh the legislative study meetings that we visited like that was just basically to get the ball rolling. But this is obviously, I mean, it, this has already been a year's, several years long process, and it's probably going to take several more years until things are narrowed down. Well, what's uh, what are the what are the arguments um, from both sides that you guys heard about? Like you guys, you said that meeting was I think like five hours long. Was it all to discuss this? Yes, it yes. was. Okay, so what? You know what kind of what kind of people did the either side bring in to to discuss this, or or how did it go? Well, there was first the first presentation was by uh, the the Wisconsin Historical Society, and then there was also 
oh, who else? The Department of Transportation, uh, and well, WSDOT, uh, Wisconsin Department of Transportation, mm -hmm. because they are used to uh, Wisconsin burial law themselves, and they have specific ways of, uh, well, uh, adhering to <laughs> set up in in their in their everyday work. And then uh, there was Dr. Patricia Richards, uh, who is an associate scientist, I believe, at, uh, at UWM. She, as the, uh, I believe, associate director of UWM CRM, the cultural resources management firm that mm -hmm. um, we have out as she uh, handles a lot of any cases that have to do with Wisconsin burial law. And she helps clients uh, go through the process um, of hearing to it, like, so you have an effigy mound on your land. <laughs> <laughs> Handing out pamphlets. Here's what you do. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, you know, real quick, what does anybody even discussed um, if this, if this law were to pass, um, how someone would test for human remains? Cause the, the gentleman in the, in the video from, uh, from Wingra stone said that, uh, you know, they've done GPR twice on that. Yes. My, my thought is if the, if the mound is a thousand years old and, and you've got so many trees and things on that land, just random, you know, basic bioturbation and things like that could have like moved the internal structure of the burials enough to where they won't present uh, a real GPR signal. I mean, maybe I'm wrong on that, but, um, you know, no, you need a, you need no, a pretty good, exactly right. you need a pretty good parabolic reflection to, to really know that there's a burial there. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, they, they recently, um, uh, uh, there's a Facebook page dedicated to, this whole issue and it's called the effigy mounds initiative mm -hmm. and there was recently pictures put up from that very gpr survey mm -hmm. and like you can't you can't tell what what you're looking at <laughs> right. and like the, the interesting thing with with them in gpr is at first you know they say like oh this gpr doesn't reveal anything but on the other side is when when a in ab620 they said oh here's one of the ways that we could test for possible human remains, which is GPR. So it's like there's this odd dichotomy uh, for them of like, well, does this work or does this not? Like you already GPR'd it and you didn't find what you were looking for or anything specific. So, Right. Right. And I can see where they're coming from that. Like they would like to uh, be able to prove whether or not the, uh, a mound has a burial in it or not. And if it doesn't have a burial in it, then um, they would like to you know, disturb it or mm -hmm. be able to disturb it. But in it, I think they're putting too much, like way too much merit in ground penetrating radar. I mean, I can see why they would um, want ground penetrating radar, but I just, I think they say it from a place of not understanding just the limits of what it can do. It's yeah. not the wonder technology that they think it is. Yeah, people people think people that don't know think I mean it's great, but people think it's like mm -hmm. Star Trek tricorders, you know, you're gonna you're gonna see exactly what's down under the ground and everything <laughs> there, but it just doesn't work that way, does it? <laughs> no. All right. Yeah. What are the methods that there you guys sort of alluded to that there might be multiple methods there that could be used to determine if you know there's any burials in those mounds, but I mean Short of a full archaeological excavation, I can't think of any way you'd ever be able to reasonably determine that 
Exactly. And that is the problem. (laughs) Because you would have to dig into the darn things to be able to figure out if there's something in it, which is, you know, as we all are well aware, it is an inherently destructive process. It would ruin the mound. Yeah. And therein lies the issue. Yeah, even even putting a a, a line of um, like boreholes or something across it is still very destructive on the mound. You do find human remains, and now you've got a, an even bigger problem on your hands. You know, these mounds occasionally get destroyed through construction. Anyway, I presume. I mean, I'd imagine that developers would buy land and they'd do the archaeology to you know build a subdivision or another Walmart or something like that. So. Uh, are the mounds a specific um, a specific resource that's like protected no matter what? Yes, yeah, exactly. Yes, yeah. Um, that the the Wisconsin Act three sixteen, which is the burial laws at heart of this question, um, mm-hmm. because of the fact that almost all burial mounds count all mounds count as burials. Um, when the um, director of the Wisconsin Historical Society made the catalog of burial sites in Wisconsin. Like, they, essentially, all burial mounds count, all mounds count as burials, um, right. whether or not, regardless of whether or not they contain human remains. Mm-hmm. So all of the because ones, the, as it stands yeah. now, they are protected. Okay. Yeah, yeah it's, and it uh, has to do with that figure of 80-plus percent. Um, and be, because it's such a high statistic, they're, they... The law is written so that all the like you you cannot disturb in any of them. It went like if you're a field tech and you're in Wisconsin and you see a burial mound, you map it, you don't dig into it, you leave it alone, mm-hmm. and you walk away. Well, I'm not I'm not refuting that they're valuable, but I mean burials get disturbed in Wisconsin, right? Yes. Well, yes, that's yes, right. Sorry, I, I'd I've certainly done that before. Well, and and on a, on a... Uh, yeah, I think actually we've all been guilty of that. So that's why I keep I keep wondering what Wingra's platform is when, if they have a reason, you know, uh, I mean, there's a million crappy subdivisions that have destroyed entire villages and, oh. uh, you know, uh, more strip malls. That you know, one example here in Arizona, if there's a Hohokam village, there are human remains just they're synonymous because they cremate their people and they build the same village on the same spot for hundreds of years. So there's always cremation bone. It's just assumed that there will be. So every time you build, you know, another outlet mall and they say, wow, there's going to be a small village here dating to whatever time period, it's assumed there's going to be human remains, even if you don't find them. Um, Ah. And so, and so, it's assumed that burials will be disturbed, and I was just wondering if that's kind of the way it is in Wisconsin. Like, uh, well, we're going to build this, and it's got a mound, and we'll do everything properly and document this, and then we'll have uh, 85 new townhouses for you know people like me to live in. Yeah. Wait, I I don't. So in Arizona, are the members of the First Nations just expecting that? Like, is the tipo just like, okay, this is happening, or I don't. Because I've been told that Wisconsin burial law is just very uh, different. Well, they're never they're never okay with us destroying their ancestral remains. I mean, that's just never a good thing. Um, They they're so just because you find a village doesn't mean you're going to find a burial. However, because they cremate their people and have these 
um, special methods and uh, ceremonies. Uh, basically, they burn the body in a pit, and then they use their hands to move as much of the bone as they can into a jar or a, another vessel where it can be placed in a burial, right? Oh, so it's a so, difference. So there will be the bits. There will be bits, a lot of times, of human bone in with, you know, every. I mean, everything in with, um, you know, uh, small pits that they use for storage or in their pit house or. You know, uh, I think I, I mean, I, I think I've even seen it in historical buildings in the adobe. I think I've seen cremation bone. So uh, that's it's just understood there will be bits of bone. Now, if there's an actual burial, of course, that changes everything. If there is a pit and it you know, possibly is a burial pit, then that changes the whole way that our work goes. But Arizona, of all places, has. Uh, a lot of a lot of suburban sprawl and a lot of that's built on top of native american sites and a lot of that had crm that was done and i read the reports and every now and then there are burials that are found so if they made a law like and i'm not i'm not trying to judge wisconsin i think it's great that you guys have a law that, that protects a certain kind of uh category of site i really wish that more states would pick and choose what they thought was important important and protect that but I'm just saying that, uh, you know, you do the testing and you say, well, it's possible that there's a village here and it's got five or six pit houses. If Arizona made a law that said, if you find a village because there's a high likelihood of finding human remains, you can't work. I can imagine what the state, they would do exactly like what what's happening in Wisconsin. There would be these developers and this cadre of uh, conservative people who are all for property rights. And they would just join forces and do their very best to submarine that law. Um, so I was just wondering if it was if if in Wisconsin development ever does disturb these mounds. Okay, let's uh, let's answer that question on the other side of the break, real quick, so we can come back and really um, really give it its due diligence there. So uh, listen to this ad from PCS about job posting service. Um, I've had a lot of questions about it lately. And, uh, but just listen to this, then go check it out. It's a really good way to, um, make sure we have some ethical job postings. So back in a second. Professional Certifications for Scientists, or PCS, aims to provide practical educational videos, field guides, knowledge tests, professional certifications, and employment connections to professional scientists everywhere. Check out the jobs page for job listings and contract archaeology. Post a job for just $50. All of PCS's jobs are verified and checked for completeness. Find PCS jobs at www.pcscourses.com forward slash jobs. PCS, a place for good scientists to become great science professionals. All right, we're back. And uh, Bill, why don't you repeat your uh, your question real quick about Wisconsin so Nicole can uh, can answer it. I'm, I... Just after hearing the law, I was wondering if the mounds do get disturbed because uh, in my experience in Arizona, well, in my experience in other states, yeah, bulldozers roll and, you know, whole villages go down and maybe there's some CRM if they have to, but sometimes there's not. Arizona has much more um, uh, powerful laws about antiquities and um, uh, archaeological sites, but I know for a fact that development destroys uh, prehistoric resources that do have human remains. And so I was just wondering if um, development still destroys those similar sites in Wisconsin. 
hopefully they do it on accident. But <laughs> I have spoken to the whole Chunk Nation and uh, kind of the spirit of the law has a lot to do with, I, I, I suppose, what they would do with burials. or And not just them. There's also the Menominee Nation that I believe has a stake in how the effigy mounts are treated. But from what I understand, they leave their ancestors in the mound, and then they don't touch it. And they, these become sacred places, um, and uh, the body should, like, it's, that their philosophy is to leave it, mm-hmm. and that's where it is. And it sounds like um, there might be a, a sense of deep time involved in in these and these are places of uh, that the ancestors must lie and stay and not get moved i i guess the question that that bill's getting at is um you know across much of the country unless something is actually listed not just eligible but actually listed on the national register of historic places in most areas unless that's the case and even then it's not ironclad um it seems Mm -hmm. like across much of the country if you just throw more money at it like you have it excavated, you do whatever you have throw. I mean, people, the Walmart's going up. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's very little that's going to stop that across most of the country. So, it, it sounds like the laws in Wisconsin might be um, superseding federal laws and saying this is just ironclad. If you find uh, if you find a mound on an archaeological survey, we're putting a we're putting a boundary around it, probably a thirty meter buffer or more around that thing, and saying. Bam! This is uh, this is ironclad, and there's nothing you can do about it. Is that the case? I I think right now it's actually a five foot buffer, and then oh, they try to foot. advocate for fifteen. Yeah. <laughs> but, there you go. Uh, yeah. But, but the other thing is that these effigy mounds, um, they're kind of, it's not just sacred; they're also part of Wisconsin culture. Um, oh yeah, for sure. Because there's there, uh, well, and they spread over into Minnesota and Iowa has the effigy mounds. Uh, National Park and then uh, Northern Illinois, but people have tattoos of Man Mound, <laughs> <laughs> and like they're not just special to the 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 First Nations of our of our state. They're um, part of w- Wisconsin, I guess. Mm-hmm. And uh, just to be clear, Native Americans that I know here in Arizona do also have that same sense of deep time, and they do also feel like not just the burials. All of those artifacts um, are connected to their ancestors and that they should all be left right there. So they're never okay with us building yet another Walmart on top of their ancestors' uh, a place any more than they were in the first place building anything there. So, um, yeah, no, they're on the same page with the Wisconsin tribes as far as uh, um, the sanctity of these archaeological sites. Uh, it's just, I guess, the property law in Arizona is different um and if you have an archaeological site you have a bit more freedom especially if you're willing to pay for cultural resources uh just to pick up on a comment you made there chris it doesn't supersede federal law it can't supersede what it does is it adds an extra level of protection and so yeah i think that's what i meant yeah 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 so like in case anyone who's listening it you can't uh you can't take away you can't you know supersede federal law but you can make laws that add extra levels of protection as long as they don't conflict with federal law. So mm-hmm. towns, um, I know Albuquerque a couple of years ago required 
even on pri private property, um, if the development was going to be of a certain size, you had to do archaeological work. So um, you can always add extra protection at the local, county, or state level to any existing, you know, protection laws mm -hmm. that add extra, you know, extra level of protection. Okay. Yeah, and I, I have, there's an example of that um, in Wisconsin, too. This is something I have uh, experience with. Um, I used to go to UW-La Crosse. Uh, in La Crosse, Wisconsin, and La Crosse has a shipwreck right in the river off of La Crosse um, called the War Eagle. And La Crosse is the, as far as I know, the only city that has um, laws pertaining to protection of a shipwreck because it's right off, right in town. And it has, and um, it's basically a no dive zone because of that, um, because of people's fondness for the history of it. Um, it's a very big local thing, mm -hmm. but it's the same kind of idea where it doesn't supersede anything. Um, the War Eagle isn't listed on the NRHP, um, but it's protected under the laws of the city of La Crosse. Right. So just to clarify, the, the, what they're trying to do is make an amendment to the law to allow people to basically try to find out if there's going to be human remains in the mound but short of excavation they're not going to find that out and none of the local tribes want to see any sort of excavation at all is yeah. that correct that is correct they want to be able because what it is is the act 315 gives um the director of the wisconsin historical society a duty to go and catalog uh burial sites in wisconsin so what they want to do with ab 620 was to be able to challenge his uh, decisions that he made with cataloging burial sites um, to allow uh, excavation. Yes, according to um, is Robert Brooks the co-chair of the yes, he committee? Is. is that okay? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's... he was the one who wrote AB six twenty. Yes, I'm looking at it right now. Um, according to him, the Wisconsin Historical Society has a, a lot of power for yeah. a non-elected official. And it, like the words "imminent domain" got thrown around. Mm -hmm. Oh, and uh, going back to earlier, sorry, uh, that the, like, I have been told I don't, I don't quite uh, know, but uh, other companies like they have uh, gone through uh, burial mounds. Um, not, I, I say companies like construction companies, like. Well, I mean, they just it's do it, and then they deal with the. The repercussions, but the they can get fined from between one and ten thousand dollars, and I think there's something about imprisonment. Yeah, hmm. it's possible jail time. Okay. For up to a year. Has that ever been enforced? That that's been mentioned. No, that's the thing. Um, yeah. Wing, Wingra with this issue is the first one to actually challenge it. Um, the the surprising thing is like um, the. The director of the Wisconsin State Historical Society can be have uh, a special inspection warrant that would that's like state enforced that would allow him to go inspect your property, you know, if ands or buts. Mm -hmm. And like obviously, they feel like that gives him too much power. But the thing of it is, is he's actually never really had to use that since this law is enacted. Like right. they even said at the committee meeting, we've only used this like a handful of times. Mm -hmm. Well, and what about? I mean, it they, it has to be inspected. I mean, the video on the on the Wingra um, property there didn't 
go 360 degrees around that I could see. But is it actually? I mean, how would you access access that? I mean, it, they seems like they've almost made it inaccessible by creating yeah. this peninsula. You know what I mean? I mean that that doesn't seem like they're even following the the laws in Wisconsin. That's something I don't understand because I don't understand how. I mean, I guess because they maintained the buffer zone and they've only been quarrying closer and closer to the mounds. Mm -hmm. Like, um, it doesn't really quite make a whole lot of sense how it's making it into a peninsula and not allowing access like that has been allowed to persist. Mm -hmm. I mean, in fact, it's one of the things I've been confused about as well. Well, what were some of the, uh, I mean, we know, you know, I want to talk more about the meeting you guys just went to, cause it sounds like that was the last, um, big thing to happen on this, you know, as far as discussion goes. Um, and, and we know, we know how, I'm going to say, quote, our side of the uh, of the coin thinks about it because it's the same across the country. You know, it's archaeologists, preservationists, the Native Americans. We know how we all think, but I'm interested in some of the arguments from the other side, um, you know, some more of the additional arguments. What were, what were some of the things that stuck out to you guys? I mean, you mentioned imminent domain, which, you know, I took a, I took a environmental law class in grad school. And I mean, imminent domain, if I'm not mistaken, refers to the government taking uh property and giving a fair value for that property if they need to put in a highway or something like that and it's just something that can't be avoided um but eminent domain doesn't really apply to private property owners um or are they saying that the government is using eminent domain by preserving the mounds is that where that's context is being used yeah that is the context that, okay. that we are the government the the state is stepping in and in preser preserving the mounds that's what makes it eminent domain mm-hmm that was his argument. But the state is essentially paying for that with tax tax breaks or tax benefits or some way? Yep. Yes. Uh, yeah, okay. Um, okay, so what were some of the other things you guys heard in that meeting? Well, I mean, the, the other thing, the, the several other issues um, was that, you know, like as I stated, whether or not the law gives too much power to the Wisconsin Historical Society. Um, another thing they want to look at is they want to mod modify the law for stages of human decomposition. So if if we excavate it and only find particles, um, you know that 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 would be allowed rather than if it it would be different if it's a full burial rather than mm -hmm. uh, like what was mentioned earlier with uh, ashes at a site. Yes, and, they'd like to uh, be able to better under like they want to clarify under the law what, like, the levels of decomposition or, like, what what exactly is a burial? Because it could be something as much as, like, a, a bunch of ashes left over. I thought eminent domain actually has to be actually invoked by the government for it to be eminent domain. I didn't realize you could actually infer it. I don't know how that exactly works. But the other question yeah. I had was... Um, Basically, well, like that's to do with constitutionality. But the other question I had was when we're talking about the human remains in these mounds, surely the mounds themselves are part of a material culture, like whether they have human remains in them or not. And destroying that as a gravesite in itself is an issue within itself, is it not? Or am I understanding that it has to have human remains in it for it to be protected? Um. That is basically what they want. They want to know if it has. They want to know if it has, if they, if these uh, mounds on their property definitely have human remains, and then the, in that way it would be protected. 
And so if they don't have any human remains then in them, um, so no, it would be protected. They they would want they if they if it was found to not have human remains on, on it, they would want it to change its status to an uncatalogued, um, or strike it from the burial sites catalog, and then be allowed to excavate. Okay, and from our perspective, <laughs> our perspective, our side, I mean, it we would still want it to be protected and catalogued, right? We, yes. we we're not kind of saying, we're not kind of saying, well, okay, guys, you're you're right. No body, nah, go ahead, take out the beer. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just like to bring a comment back to the imminent, imminent domain. First of all, imminent domain is not popular, so I see why he's trying to tie it to there, but imminent domain is 100% legal. Um, imminent domain gets a very bad rep when the government takes land and doesn't use it for public use and hands it over to other private users because they'll use it better. Um, that's where it gets a bad rep, but it's still legal. So even if he's calling it eminent domain, which technically they still own the land, they're just getting tax breaks, um, that is 100% legal. Let's go on to the Supreme Court. So um, I, I know where the politician's trying to tie it to an unpopular thing, but actually, legally, if they're trying to do that and saying it's eminent domain, they're actually making it even easier for the... Um, historical society to, or the, the law to protect it. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's a very interesting argument, but that's basically politics trying to tie it to something that's unpopular when people actually don't really understand what imminent domain is. And right. in a sense, any of those laws are for the prote- protection of people and that it goes into our, you know, our environmental laws. You can't dump toxic waste into rivers because of people's health. You can't destroy the past because it destroys people's culture. It's it's all about what's best for the entire society, not what's best for, you know, one person looking to make a quick buck. Um, I it's it's interesting they're trying to tie it to that, but someone should probably point out that even. It's not eminent domain. If it was, it'd be 100% legal. All right. So what what are some of the other, uh, anything other comments from, I mean, this was a five hour long meeting. I'm guessing it was, uh, it was a lot of the other side trying to, trying to argue their point. Um, any other comments that they made stick out to you guys? Yes. They, um, one of the things that they really were stuck to is they want to allow private landowners to have the full enjoyment of their private land <laughs> and because they, <laughs> that sound ridiculous enough anyway right. but um and they were concerned that um because uh, the wisconsin historical society prevents people from uh, disturbing effigy mounds on their land with this uh, five foot minimum buffer um that they're not able to fully enjoy the use of their private land which I don't think this is really the first time that, like, if you have a river going through your land, mm-hmm. it, you might, that's it's not your river. You can't just dump stuff into it. <laughs> you can only dig so far down and fly so high. I mean, there, there are limits to enjoying private land, and private land is, I mean, you're only going to own it for so long, but the, the mounds have been there forever and a day. Yeah. 
Well, and I've got I've got a comment on that, um, but I think we're going to save it until after the break. But uh, Nicole, I believe you've got to leave us um, after this segment. So um, thanks for coming on. We're going to wrap this up with Jordan. Yes, uh, thank you. After the break, yeah, no problem. And and follow what these guys are saying. Um, I'm sure there's going to be more news coming down um, from Wisconsin, and you guys are pretty good about posting it and commenting on it. Um, so follow these guys on uh, on the Archaeofield Techs, and I, I don't know if you're posting in North American Archaeological Tech Forum as well, but you know, just find them and, and comment on this. Oh, yeah, I'll because start. it's big. Yeah, yeah. Okay, excellent. Well, we're going to go to break real quick, and uh, we'll be back on the other side. And here's another uh, CRM business tip from Christopher Dore at Heritage Business International. Back in 30 seconds. Hi, everyone. This is Christopher Dore with Heritage Business International, and here's this week's Heritage Business Tip from the Archive. This week, we look at corporate structure and corporate values. If you are incorporated as a C, S, or LLC corporation in the United States, you have a legal obligation to make organizational decisions to maximize shareholder value. In many heritage organizations, this is at odds with corporate culture and values. Perhaps changing to a nonprofit or low-profit corporation to align decision-making with values makes better sense. To receive our most up-to-date heritage business tips, you can subscribe to our free weekly email at heritagebusiness.org. Until next time, this is Christopher Dore. Okay, we're back, and we're going to wrap this up in the last segment here. Um, Nicole was talking about... uh, uh, right as we right as we left the last segment, she was mentioning how you know and property owners want to have full enjoyment of the land, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And she had a great analogy to like a river going through somebody's land. You don't own that river. You're not allowed to dump toxic things into it. You're not allowed to dam it. Um, that's actually uh, the Army Corps will have something to say about that. Uh, you're not allowed to do a lot of stuff to that without proper permits and things like that. And for some of that stuff, you just simply won't get a permit. Well, my wife and I were talking about this last night when I mentioned the podcast and what we were doing. And it made me think about something. We're pretty used to, especially out here in the West, we're pretty used to saying things like, um, you know, you can own property. You might even own a hundred thousand acres or something like that, but you might not own the mineral rights to that property. You might not own the water rights to that property. You definitely don't own the airspace above it. Okay. You do for a little ways, but you don't own, um, you know, you get up to a certain distance over your property and you simply don't own that airspace. The FAA does. The, the government does. So um, the American people do, for the for lack of a better thing. So anyway, so we're used to separating out owning your property with owning some of the other stuff that goes with that property, like under the ground and things like that. Why are cultural resources any different? You know, who owns the, who owns the uh, cultural rights to your property? And that's something that's not often talked about. Like I know... Um, I know out here in, uh, in the West, you know, you can, you can just basically go in and destroy whatever you want if it's on your property. I mean, we don't really have mounds out here in Nevada, but we have quite a few other things. And if it's on private property, there's, there's really nothing that you can say about it. And Tristan's mentioning oil in the background. Um, and I see a uranium mentioned too. That's all mineral rights. So, um, you know, it's all tied up in it. You don't, you don't own those rights to your property unless you specifically buy them or unless it's included in the sale price of your property. It's usually a separate purchase. Um, so anyway, Jordan, what do you think about that? Is anybody mentioning that um, as far as like cultural rights or maybe just having this discussion from a philosophical standpoint? <laughs> maybe so, they're not talking so about it. Not, actually, it's yeah. kind of um, what, what you just provided. It's like, it's so, uh, you know, it's, 
it's so easy to think about that it that it's kind of shocking now that that what you just talked about was never covered in the committee yet right and it it just seems so obvious <laughs> it it does doesn't it it does to us but nobody ever talks about that you know it's just it's just not a thing i mean i know for like i said out here it's definitely not a thing it doesn't sound like it's a thing really really anywhere a government has to step in and protect those sorts of things and i just don't understand how we've come to that situation it's probably cuz they're not you know the cultural stuff is is not quote unquote as valuable to the economy you know what i mean it's yeah. valuable obviously to a very small set of people uh, and it has a great amount of value to them, but it's not necessarily valuable to, um, you know, like on the open market, I guess, which is which is why that comes in. So it's it's interesting you bringing uh, the kind of economic value of the land into question. I think the problem is that I, well, I think cultural resources shouldn't be um, valuable on the economic system because I think that just promotes their sale and the loss of context across the mm -hmm. entire globe. But I think the important thing really is that I think you have to, in the same way we've talked about uranium, oil, mineral rights, the height of how far up you go, how far low you go, rivers, I think that you just have to put it in that kind of context when you're talking about cultural remains because they aren't, they don't belong to somebody. And I think that, I mean, you're already drawing imaginary boundaries of chunks of land that somebody owns at the same time i mean the boundaries that you set i think it was what was it five foot or 15 foot yeah. was the boundary around the cultural means mm -hmm. i mean like you know i mean i don't understand how somebody can imagine that they own this many hectares of land up until an imaginary point and yet they can't deal with the fact that in the middle of their land there's an imaginary point around which a cultural resource item exists. I think the, the, the basic structure of the arguments are there. It's just you have to put it into a way that people understand. And mm -hmm. people understand that you can't dig too deep down. I don't know, how, how deep is it? Can you Are you allowed to dig? What, what do you mean, how deep are you allowed to dig? I, I'm pretty sure you could dig all the way through the Earth's core, but... Um... <laughs> Uh, if there was minerals or other stuff, if that, so, you know, there's, there's basically two different things. If you, if you consider the mound as a resource and put it in the other kind of categories of the other resources we mentioned, like, uh, airspace or uranium or, or, uh, minerals, then, then you have to treat it like it's a bounded entity or an object, right? And that's the real problem because the laws are designed to deal with things as if they're resources that five feet away from this mound, you can't do that. But this um, historic barn over here, if you want to get the tax benefits, you can't do this, that, or this. Or this other thing over there, you can't do this, this, or this, right? Because the laws are designed to um, operate on a specific object that has a three-dimensional reality that has limits in an end or an edge. But, you know, according to everyone else and in the spirit of the law, those cultural resources are part of our own cultural heritage and they're part of a landscape of culture, right, that continues from before time and will go a lot longer after us. So the idea behind the law has a certain longevity and an intangible property but or intangible quality, but it's dealing with bounded properties. So that's where it gets really sketchy and almost impossible to manage. So... The campaign against these mounds, that's just one thing. I have a feeling there's a campaign against some other, you know, in Arizona, some cactus or some 
snake. There's probably some kind of wildflower or some tree in Wisconsin. They're trying to do another kind of assault. Like, well, you know, we can take this down or, you know, what exactly is a pristine forest? How is clean water? Like, you know, how clean do I really have to make it be before I'm responsible for doing something? And that's the same issue that's going on here with these mounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in, 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 in some way, it's it's not like a resource like uranium or oil or minerals. It's it's more like the river example that we've been talking about earlier, where you can't really dump in the river. You don't really own the river because it kind of affects everything else in that way. Yeah, I mean, it seems like it because, I mean, the environmental laws, especially like the National Environmental Policy Act here in the States, is really um, kind of a forward-thinking, altruistic kind of thing that says, you cannot just destroy water. Like you can't just destroy the environment for your own personal gain because there will be generations that come after you. Um, but the way that we deal with it is our clunky legal system that makes us uh, determine the rates of decay of a human body. I mean, how are they going to do that again? How are they going to take skeletons and then sit around and wait a thousand years and be like, oh, well, this is in you know stage 7D of decomposition. How yeah. are they going to do any of that kind of stuff? You know, it's... They have to set up this rubric or these different things, and it it gets really um, asinine in cases like this because uh, there's two different ideas that someone someone's freedom in life is derived from them being able to go trash a mound, and or on the other hand that um, uh, the idea that you would just kind of leave something there even though it's on your property is is infringing upon your own activities as a human being. Mm-hmm. And then the idea that some things are supposed to be left there in a good state for the future. I mean, we've got two different kinds of things, uh, kind of altruistic concern for the future versus a different kind of like, you know, don't tell me what I can do because I can do anything. Yeah. Well, that's a typical American viewpoint about land anyway. You know, um, is that sort of uh, we can do anything because it's our land philosophy. Um you know, I, I want to. We need to wrap this up in the next ten minutes here. So I want to talk about some more things that happened in that uh, in that meeting. Where, first off, where where are preservationists going from here? Did there, was there any mention or, or maybe a meeting afterwards? You know, what what are the next kind of what are the next steps? Or unless you have some more stuff to talk about from that meeting, that'd be great too. Yeah, uh, I had another thing I wanted to say uh, that kind of followed what after uh, what Nicole said before the break. Mm-hmm. But uh, one of the one of the things that was flung around by Wingra is he, the uh, president, uh, the owner of Wingra, was that he tried to throw around that when when the director of the Wisconsin State Historical Society came to their property, he maintains that he came and cataloged the the site as a burial unlawfully, that he was trespassing. But, you know. In the early court documents where they were first denied their permit for declassifying the mounds and getting their excavation permanent, it was said that, you know, Wingra had opportunities to mitigate the impact of the law both both before and at the time of the original decision to catalog the site in 1991, but chose not to take advantage of those options. The judge even said, Wingra's arguments now challenging the original catalog decision are untimely now that it's, you know, 20 years later. So, yeah. Yeah. That was one of the things that he banded about is that he's, it seems like a lot of things are liable to blame the historical society for um, 
for not understanding their own law in 1985 and not understanding what they were doing, um, that certainly seems to be an allegation on Wingra's part. Um, even though the judge found that when in the same court testimony, the judge found like the director of the Wisconsin State Historical Society acted within the confines of the law and did precisely what he was supposed to do for mm-hmm. his job. So, so, all right. So that, that brings up a question that I, I had earlier that I forgot to ask. You're surveying along. You're a field technician. You guys are doing a, a survey. You come across a, an undocumented mound. Okay. How, first off, how do you, how do you prove that that is in fact a burial mound? What, what kind of, what kind of, um, or, or at least not even a burial mound, but just a mound that's going to get listed with the Wisconsin Historical Society. How do you prove that as archaeologists in the field? What level of documentation do you need to bring to them to say, yes, put this on the list and protect it? Um, that I am actually unsure about, but I can tell you that I've been on a survey in the past where we came along and there was a, there was a hump that the PI thought could possibly be a mound. I wasn't really there for the, that discussion or decision process, but it was eventually found that it wasn't a mound and it was precisely what it was, just a hump in the ground, just a mm-hmm. weird hump, but a hump nonetheless. So um, I'm currently unsure of that, but I would like to know. Uh, I don't know how often that has happened in the past with other surveys in Wisconsin. I just know that one time. <laughs> yeah, because what would stop some landowner who's just got a bunch of land? They're not worried about a quarry. It's just they've just got a bunch of land. I mean, I, have, I actually have a lot of family out there that has a lot of land. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, he just goes for, for miles sometimes, you know, without seeing another house. And it's just rolling hillscapes. So right. what's, to, what's to stop somebody from saying, oh, I've got this mound and this mound and this mound on my property. Give me my tax breaks. You know what I mean? Right. What, what's to stop them from doing that if there's no testing? Well, I think I think what it is is they 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 call in. Uh, what happens is that they call in. Obviously, the director of the Wisconsin Historical Society to come out and look. Uh, the state archaeologist of Wisconsin, I'm sure, is involved, and I'm sure they also get uh, stakeholders from the uh, Ho Chunk and Menominee nations to come take a look at it, and they deliberate amongst themselves mm-hmm. uh, if it's a mound or not. Okay. Um, because the, the Ho-Chunk Nation and the Menominee Nation have, have a lot of, uh, obviously have a lot of stake in it, but they're also given a lot of, um, you know, they're allowed to voice their opinions. Um, they're at, two of the committee members on the study committee are from both, met, both nations. Right. Yeah, I guess I'm, I'm really curious as to that because the, uh, it seems like, like what you said and, and from that video from Wingra that they're, one of their primary concerns is that somebody just came out and, you know, you know, did their little blessing and said, this is a mound and now they have to protect it for the rest of existence. And, uh, and they're concerned with that because they're like, well, how do we know? There's been no testing. There's been nothing. Um, but, but clearly there must be some analytical methodology that says, yes, this is a mound. It can't simply just be shape. Um, yeah. because, uh, we know, we know that the earth can create very, very interesting shapes right. <laughs> across the landscape, yeah. you know? Um, I mean, maybe not so much in Wisconsin since it was covered by a mile high glacier not too long ago, right. but <laughs> yeah. I, I think, I think too, that's, a, that's when the next meeting of the next study committee, uh, which it will be on September 8th, I believe this is one of the things that they want to talk about is like what, how have we done this in the past to catalog something as a mound? Mm-hmm. Um, because that is one of the other things that Wingrow wants clarification on. 
Right. So they're going to be bringing in people to talk about that process. Indeed. Uh, for the next one. Yeah, I, I can understand that. I mean, I as a as a scientist, I mean, I I'm I definitely you know would be interested in preserving that stuff, but I also want to know, well, how can we tell exactly what this thing is? You know, I mean, that's we we in in today's day and age, we don't have. I don't, it seems like we don't really have the freedom to just protect everything like we'd like to do. You know, I, I understand mm-hmm. that, but it's not reality. So yeah. we, we do need a way to, to analyze these things. Um, Tristan, you got a question? Yeah, I just want to ask uh, very quickly, how do you feel um, going forward? What do you think will happen next? I mean, where is everyone? Like, where where are we currently? And what are going to be the next steps in with the 620? Um. It seems, well, like I said, this one got the ball rolling. Uh, it seems like the, the steps right now is they want to bring in more people who can talk more knowledgeably about uh, the mounds themselves. And again, like I said, with the how they've been documented in the past um, before, uh, before continu- starting any further allegations. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's... Like I said, it seems like there's a level of uncertainty moving forward, and then I I know understand that some some of my fellow archaeologists are feeling kind of pessimistic after this meeting uh, towards the outcome. Um, I know for our point of view, I would like to see the law maintained uh, as it is because it's worked so well for the past you know thirty years. Why not? Mm-hmm. But um, I know that. One of the things, too, is on the other side is, like, landowners want to have, be able to have more uh, leeway and be able to have more uh, accountability of us archaeologists, I suppose. All right. Well, in the last few minutes here, um, there's there's probably not a lot that, that people outside of Wisconsin could do about this except watch and observe if they have the same. I mean, all across the Midwest, you know, from, from Louisiana on up to... Uh, you know, on up to Wisconsin, there are mounds. So this is a, I'd be interested to see first off how other states handle this issue. Um, I know that was, was one of the, that, yeah. sorry, that, that was one of the things that the committee ended on is that they wanted to look at other states that have had to deal with this. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was another thing is okay. going through other states laws. Well, and Nicole mentioned in the chat that there's another meeting on September 8th uh, in Wisconsin. This is in Milwaukee, I assume. This is in Madison. At oh, the in Capitol. Madison. Oh, okay. Well, that, that also makes sense. Um, okay, so there's another meeting in Madison on September 8th. Um, we'll put the link to uh, to that in the show notes uh, in case anybody listening to this in the area wants to go uh, attend that. I assume it's also a public meeting like the one you guys went to. Yes. Okay. And what are what was it talked about amongst amongst you and and your you know your side of things? Um, what people can do uh, to voice their opinion on this besides going to the meetings? Um, I assume there's no date yet set for voting on this because they're not done talking about it, right? No, uh, not, not so far as yet, um, but I imagine that will come to pass uh, within the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, aside the big, the biggest place to go that has been support is like there's a, that is the uh, Effigy of Mounds Initiative Facebook page, and they kind of keep everyone updated on everything that's going on and just general mound stuff in Wisconsin. Um, but so far, uh, the best they could do is... Uh, you know, voice their opinions like, you know, I did over Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And just keep keep paying attention to what's been going on. I, I'm glad you mentioned it because I had no idea about any of this. 
Uh, and it's, it's not just a, that's the thing that people don't understand. And this is why I wanted to get you guys on the podcast because we're, we're not only nationwide, we're worldwide. You know, we have a worldwide audience with this podcast and this isn't a Wisconsin problem. You know, I mean, you're this, this, these mounds were, were around way before Wisconsin was <laughs> way before yeah. the United States was, um, you know, mm-hmm. and, and this is a, this is a heritage problem from a, from a much larger standpoint. And it, and it has bigger implications than just Wisconsin property owners that need more dirt for their, whatever right. the hell. Right. So, um, yeah. yeah. So I'm glad we got this out there. Um, we're out of time, Jordan. So, um, thank you. And we thank Nicole on the last segment. Uh, and like you said, the next meeting is September 8th and maybe we'll be able to record some short, um, update segments of some big developments happen and, uh, right. and we can get you guys back on, um, like I said, maybe just for some short update segments or uh, another full podcast later on in the fall to see where we stand on this and, and what's going on and, and possibly even bring in some other experts too. So, because um, sure. I'd really like to know uh, a little bit more about how these things are um, discovered, analyzed, and then uh, and then ultimately preserved. So, all right. Well, thanks a lot, guys. Um, thanks a lot for joining me, Thank everyone. Thank you so much. Yep. And uh, see you guys next time. That's it for another episode of the CRM Archaeology Podcast. Links to some of the items mentioned on the show are in the show notes for this podcast, which can be found at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com forward slash CRM Podcast. If you like the show and want to comment, please do. You can leave comments about this or any other episode on the website or on the iTunes page for the episode. You can also email me at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com or use the contact form on the podcast webpage. If you'd like us to answer a question on a future episode, email us. Use the contact form on the website or tweet your questions with the hashtag podcast, or you can tag at arcpodnet in your tweet. Please share the link to the show wherever you saw it. If you share CRM archaeology-related items on Twitter or Facebook or anywhere else for that matter, be sure to use the hashtag CRMARC so the community can see and comment. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so on iTunes or on Stitcher Radio. You can also type the name of the podcast into your favorite podcasting app and subscribe that way. Don't forget to go over to iTunes and leave a review of the show. It helps us get noticed so more people can find our podcast and benefit from the content. Also, send us show suggestions and interview suggestions. We want this to be a resource for field technicians everywhere, and we want to know what you want to know about. Also, please consider donating to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Your donations help fund our bandwidth and contribute to our editing costs. Thanks to everyone for joining me this week. Thanks also to the listeners for tuning in, and we'll see you in the field. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Adios. (laughs) Bye. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks again for listening to this episode and for supporting the Archaeology Podcast Network. If you want these shows to keep going, consider becoming a member for just $7.99 US a month. That's cheaper than a venti quad eggnog latte. Go to arcpodnet.com slash members for more info.